Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. we're going to be doing something a little bit different um, we're going to be hearing from two people as part of who are part of our church family Simon and Julia Hawthorne who're going to come up and share and the reason for this is we have a God that is active today right do you, do you believe that we have a God that is active today we don't need to um, think in our minds of you know what did God do for me seven years ago we, we need to be um, acknowledging as a church as a church family that God provides daily that God is active daily so we really just wanted to have a time to sort of dedicate to hearing one couple sort of testimony really about how they can speak as to what God has been doing in their lives so um, if you want to give them a big hand as they come up, um, it's Sam and Julie Hawthorne, everybody. <laughs> Maybe we should just start off with, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves for those who may not know you and sort of go from there first. Yeah. Um, Simon Hawthorne, married to Julie Hawthorne, um, father of Adam and Daniel Hawthorne. Uh, Julie and I run a charity called Life Association. We've done that for many years, and we also have a business that supports the work in India called Dalit Candles. And grandparents to the Henry, Aww. the one and only Henry. Can't forget the grandchild. We've got a grandchild in our family now, and she's like favourite. You can't, you, you know. I've got no chance anymore of being the favourite. <laughs> you can tell I'm really bitter about it. Um, so. First thing um, to start with, really, was just it'd be great to hear um, how you guys became Christians. How did your journey start with God? Yeah, well, my, I've been a Christian about uh, 40-odd years now, just over 40 years. And certainly my experience as a Christian is that God speaks very often through whispers so subtle that they're easily missed. And then occasionally is a bit more forceful and probably about... Six, maybe eight times in my life, he's moved in such a way that I had absolutely no doubt of his existence, that it was him. Um, and certainly my conversion was like that. Um, I was brought up in a Christian home, um, forced miserably to go to Shield St. Mary's, uh, 1662 hymn book as a lad. Uh, I did I made to go to Sunday school and I have no memory whatsoever and I absolutely no interest in the church. Um, and certainly by the age of 11, I made my life, parents' life so miserable that <laughs> they gave up taking me to church. And by 13, I was much more interested in the bad lads at Mosley Old Grammar School. And um, uh, it's pretty much a down, downward slippery slope from there. But I remember at 14, my uh, mum uh, persuaded me and a mate of mine, Dave Hardy, to go and hear Arthur Blessett. I don't remember Arthur Blessett. He was famously carried this huge wooden cross all around the world. And he's actually in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's most travelled person. And uh, he used to turn up with his cross in a, in a town and just preach. Anyway, he was invited to Cheadle St. Mary's. And uh, so I was interested, or I don't know why I went, to be honest, but we went. And it was rammed. And we were sat right at the back of the choir stalls. And uh, he was a very inspirational speaker. At the end of it, he didn't appeal. And uh, about 30 people put their hand up. And my mate Dave goes, yeah, I'm up for that. I'm gonna. So we both put our hands up. Then Arthur Blessed says, right, I want everybody to pray. I want the people to put their hands up to come to the front. 
So I said, oh, I don't fancy that. And Dave went, no, I'm not doing that. Arthur Blessett has seen us. And he goes, um, there's two people here. Really important if you put your hands up to come out tonight. No, I'm not doing that. No. So we didn't. And um, that was probably the, the beginning of me definitely slipping down the slippery slope. But my mum bought me a book that Arthur Blessett has written called... Um, Turned on to Jesus, that was it. And, uh, and I think I read it. I seem to remember bits about it. Anyway, then I was in trouble with the police and drugs and all sorts of making my life a misery. Uh, my parents' life a misery and mine, uh, to the utter despair of my parents. At 19, I was working with a, a mate in the building trade and actually living at his house. And um, I had at some stage in my... Uh, Delinqu- juvenile delinquency messed about with Ouija boards and I've always remember being very traumatised by the film The Exorcist absolutely horrible film but it always really disturbed me and whether it was for that reason or who knows during a week I had a series of really nasty nightmares like really demonic nightmares terrifying things and on the Tuesday I remember it was a Tuesday and it was in March and when I was 19 I woke up in the middle of the night and I was facing the wall pitch black and, and behind me, I could see in my mind's eye, but I didn't turn around because you know, when you turn your spine melts, I was actually so terrified of this thing that I thought was in the room that I was convinced there was somebody behind me who was darker than the darkness of the night. And um, the only thing I could think to do was to say the Lord's Prayer, which I must have remembered from school or church or Sunday school, whatever. So I said the Lord's Prayer, and this thing went. And the next day, I thought, I'm going off my head. I'm absolutely losing it. And I, it was just, you know, there was nobody to tell. I was working with my mate. I was just, it was just going through my mind all the time. And actually, I was thinking, is there a devil? Is there a God? What if there is a God? What if there is a devil? At the end of work, I was driving in this van to go and see my girlfriend in Chilium. And I came to Turves Road uh, Lights. And <laughs> as I was Julia. driving this van... Eh? Wasn't no. Julia. Um, another one, another one, Ex-girlfriend. yeah. Ex-girlfriend. Uh, and um, and I was, it's just going through my mind, what if there is a devil, what if there's a God? And I said a prayer, although I didn't even think of it as being a prayer. I just said, if there is a God, I really want to know you. And if there's not, I don't have to think about this again. And as I said it, it was like bubbles started in my stomach. Very physical thing. And it came up to my head. And it hit my eyes. I just burst into tears absolutely wrecked, sobbing in this van. I couldn't see where I was going. And my memory, my distinct memory of this van, it seemed to drive through the traffic lights and turn left and park on its own. That's how I felt it was. And I just sat there, wrecked. And in this van was, was filled the presence of Jesus, absolutely, tangibly knew that God was there. The total opposite of the experience that other night before of this blackness. So uh, what do you do with that? Well, I was on my way to my girlfriend, so I drove there. I was just so convinced of this experience that the first thing I said, she opened the door, I said, you won't believe what's happened. And I told her exactly, word for word, exactly what's happened. And you think she would say, oh, you're, you're parking, you know, you're losing it. In fact, she said, well, that's really weird because I've just uh, bought a book this week. I've been reading about Jesus. And she went to get it and she came back and it's Arthur Blessed's book turned on to Jesus. So I said, my mum bought me that book. I picked the book up. I opened it, and it said, To Simon, Love Mum. <clears throat> She'd bought this book in Lytham St. Anne's second-hand bookshop the weekend before. And to this day, we've no idea how it got in second-hand bookshop in Lytham. 
So being absolutely convinced of what's going on, I phoned my mum, who now lives in Wales, and, uh, and I said, yeah, I won't believe what's happened to me today. I said, and I talked about the book. She said, no, it's in the bookshop, in the bookcase. And she went off, left the phone, went to the bookcase. Of course, the book's gone. No idea how it got there. And um, about something happened to me. It was, you know, very, very powerful. And my younger brother, who was possibly even more delinquent than I was at that time, just couldn't argue with it. And Andy became a Christian and... Um, um, we, that uh, August, I think it was whenever Keswick Convention is, I think it was the August of that same year, we both went to Keswick Convention with my mum. My mum invited us to go. And there was um, an old lady there called Olive Clark who lived in Sheedle. She'd retired to Keswick. And my mum said, oh, there's Olive Clark. Come and say hello. And we said, um, I said, oh, my mum said, oh, Olive, this is Simon and um, Andrew. She said, do you remember you used to teach them at <laughs> Sunday school? I don't even remember this woman. And she said, I prayed for you two every Saturday <laughs> since you were at Sunday school. We're now 19. So you're talking about, I don't know, 10 years every Saturday. You've got no chance. God is a sucker for old ladies' <laughs> prayers. Amazing. Thanks, Simon. Not sure I like that segue when you went, God's a sucker for old ladies, and then handed me the microphone. But... <laughs> Very so young, sensitive. wonderful ladies. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, uh, totally not as dramatic as Simon's in terms of storytelling. Um, but my, uh, my faith developed as a, as a result of relationships built with friends. And I think that's important to say because sometimes it is dramatic. Sometimes it's rushing forward at a concert or a gig. But very often, I think uh, people come to know Jesus through the Jesus they see in their friends. And for me, I'm sorry that Deb's not here because she's throwing up after some dodgy meal that she uh, ate last night. But the two, two very significant people in my uh, conversion were Hill Hansen, known as Hilary Dent, really, and uh, Deborah Fulton, Deborah Dent. And Deb and I uh, were at high school together. We, I passed the 11 plus. She didn't. But then she got a bit cleverer and came to my school. And we both locked horns over a boyfriend. He was my boyfriend, not hers. I feel it's great she's not here. We're getting all the goss this morning. <laughs> oh, shit. We both absolutely are horrified. I'm not going to mention his name because he does live around here or he used to. And wouldn't it be awful if you knew him? Anyway, so, but she, we got, we got really friendly. And then she moved away to Hoyk in Scotland because her mum was remarrying. And they went to live up in Hoyk. And then one day, I was just at home, and uh, there was a knock on the door, and it was Deb. And she came and said, do you fancy coming to a concert? My boyfriend, Ian Dent, is in a band, and uh, a Christian band. And I thought, oh, Christian band. Not, didn't really, didn't mean anything to me. I wasn't really, a ch I didn't know much about church, didn't know about Christians. And, um, and I went... And it was that group of people, really, that drew me into Jesus. Um, it was just spending time, uh, time with them, time watching them. And mine was a very gradual conversion. In fact, I don't even remember. Hill says she remembers, but I don't even remember the actual moment when I prayed. So conversion can be different for everybody, can't it? Um, so no, that's great, and it, it's great to hear, like you say, the different types of ways that people meet mm. meet Jesus. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing, guys. Um, so, obviously, in most people's lives, there are ups and there are downs. And one of the questions we sort of wanted to ask you was, how have you seen God God provide through that in your in your life? 
Uh, well, after um, my conversion, um, I went into business, and, um, and about after about 18 months, Andy joined me, and we were in the fashion business together for 13 years, uh, and then off the back of that, we, we started the message together in 87, then 93, Andy went full-time, um, and we together were able to build um, the business up, then uh, Julia and I, um, after that, till... 2006 really when we were involved with four businesses at the time uh, and about 30 odd staff and um, and uh, um, I think looking back you know it, it, uh, we, we had some very big customers in the fashion business so we were supplying like Adidas and Puma and all these huge brands and the insecurity of that was that we were very exposed to one of them and if you lost the business it was you know very traumatic that was always my worry and it was, um, you know, in a sense, that was my security. I'm Christian, prayed about everything, of course, but, you know, my insecurity was, was losing one of these, these um, brands because that, in a sense, is your source. You know, it's hard for us, isn't it? If whatever your, your employer is, you know, you tend to think he's your source of income. Uh, your job is your source of income. Easy to forget, actually. That's rubbish. God is our source. Anyway, it all went pear-shaped 2006. We'd overextended ourselves. The, um, uh, the recession came. Um, couldn't get the investment we needed, and the thing went pear-shaped. And um, we'd already put personal guarantees in our house up as security. Um, if anybody wants any advice, don't. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry if you already have. Um, in our case, it all went wrong, and we had to sell everything. So the house is on the market. It was up for uh, £995,000, and this is 2010. Um, it made no difference to us because it was all going to the bank. And then, amazingly, I'm sorry if you've heard this story before, but it's worth repeating, but amazingly, a couple came up from London, saw it in the window of the estate agents, came to have a look, and I saw them for about 30 seconds. Julie showed them around. And amazingly, they said they wanted to buy it. And then said, the only problem is we, uh, we can't retire for three years. Would you consider living in it? So I said, well, on what basis? I said, well, maybe just a nominal rent. You know, we can see you, you, you love the house and you look at, we trust you to look after it. Maybe 500 quid a month. I thought, well, you can't get a terraced house in Bailey Beach for 500 pounds a month. I'll stay on my million pound farmhouse. Thank you very much. So I thought, well, this is never going to happen. It's not, it just doesn't happen. Anyway, as we went through the next three months of dealing with this with solicitors, it turned out this guy is a church warden. His wife's a, a curate. He's a very wealthy solicitor, and um, and it's all happening. So I thought, I'm going to chance my army. I'm obviously dealing with an angel. So I said, um, so look, uh, if um, you know what would really help us get going, because most of the time I told him, <laughs> come pear shit, we're trying to start again. And uh, I said, what would really help us, like, uh, you know, really nominal rent. So, so what? You mean like 50 to 100 pounds a month? <laughs> That's what he actually said. I said, yeah, 50 quid a month would be great. <laughs> so, so he said, yeah, go on then. So we lived in our own house with a three-year contract at £12.50 a week and then had a two-year extension. So we stayed in our house for five years, £12.50 a week. Amazing, amazing. Praise God. But it didn't stop there. Um, Adam, our eldest son, was getting married and uh, really wanted to have the reception at Sitch House, which is that house. So he was getting married on the 19th of April. We didn't know where we were going to go next because we, our position hadn't really improved in those years. We were still sort of clawing our way back. Um, and um, 
there was one other farm. We live in a sort of little circuit of farms. There's about seven of them. They're all on the same postcode. And there's one other farm on that same postcode, and it's a pretty farm. And I always used to say to Simon, if I didn't live at Sitch, I'd love to live at Nipe. Anyway, on April the 19th, Nipe became available because the people, the tenants, it was rented out, and the tenants did a runner, and um, it became available. So Adam got his wedding at Sitch, and we went after Nipe and got it. And that, for us, was God's provision. It, it, it was a gentle um, transition, leaving our own home, but going to somewhere that was still lovely. It wasn't ours, but then, you know what? Mostly they never are anyway, are they? Because the banks or the uh, building societies. And so we then were able to move into Nipe, and it surprised us endlessly when we moved in. And I remember saying to Andy, actually, you know, I can't, it's like God's got massive sleeves, because you know when you say, I don't know what he's got up his sleeve. Well, it was like God had these massive sleeves and really lovely things kept coming, you know, about the house, down to every bit of furniture fitted in that we had at Sitch. It was just stuff that, you know, in terms of salvation for the world is not really important, but in terms of looking after us and dealing with the things that we were going through and knowing, God knows, the deepest innermost things that we need. And uh, he gave us them all. He fulfilled those uh, in our need for a, a home that wasn't too much unlike um, uh, Sitch. So that was... Yes, of course you can. Oh, thank you. I think... I, well, no, I just, I just think there's, there's something, a detail you missed. I should have told this story. The, the Adams, the only reason for us to stay at Sitch... Yeah, it was the wedding. And Adam's wedding was on April the 19th. And that was the specific date that it became available. But you did say that. But I just want to add to it because I'm putting more emphasis in it, see. Uh, but the, cur <laughs> the thing about the curtain, the thing about the things fitting was we were able to take the curtains because the new owners were just going to gut the house and have it. So we took all the curtains. But it was the way that they fit. You know, curtains don't necessarily fit a window, do they? Am I repeating myself? No. Am I repeating you? No. Right, I can see it. See it tutting. This is my story. Now, but anyway, I just think that to me it was God's kindness. You know, it was just that little act of kindness. Not a big deal, but the way they fit was amazing. There was okay. just one thing to add to that, though. I thought it was important to say uh, for anybody who's going through a time of leanness or worry or fear about how they're going to manage. You know, it wasn't as easy as it sounds. It was like treading and crawling through mud not knowing where the next bill actually was going to be paid. And I remember uh, only earlier this year, my um, friend's son was getting married. And I think it's really honest. I think it's really important to be honest. You don't have to write everything down, let everybody know all about what's going on in your life. But if you hide it behind a smile, they don't know how to help you. And God can't bless you through other people. And this particular weekend, we were really only a few months ago, it was back in April, we were skint, really did not know how we were going to pay the next bills in personally and in the business because the business is always an additional pressure. And so that's really a tough place to be. Anyway, I, I told my friend that I couldn't afford the petrol to come up to her son's wedding. We were only nighttime guests, weren't like really important ones, but I told her, and it was really humbling because I said, please don't tell anybody else, but I can't, I've got no money for petrol. So that was fine. But then the next thing, 
we were due to go away for a weekend with them and they paid for us to go. If I'd not told her, she wouldn't have been able to bless us, would she? By paying for us to go on this little weekend away that we were going actually to celebrate my birthday. So it's just an encouragement. Don't hold it in if you're really struggling with a need. You know, just be honest. I think it's more be honest about your struggles. Yeah. And the other thing I would add is that, um, it, you know, when you can make light of these things in hindsight. Uh, you know, losing everything was absolutely horrendous. I mean, it was really, really painful. Where's God in that? You know, we stepped out in faith, we prayed about everything, we, we thought we were doing what God wanted us to do, and it all goes wrong. You know, where's God in that? And it was really tough. And at the time, this guy came to look at our house. He actually, when he came in, I was on the kitchen floor. I've, I've only ever cleaned this floor once, and I was on my knees cleaning it. And I was Looking back at it, I was emotionally, spiritually, and physically on my knees at this time. No idea what we're going to do, what we're going to do for a living. It's all, all gone. And, um, but it is at that time, you know, we, we experience grace all the time on a daily basis. We just never see it. But when you need God, his grace is sufficient. That was our story. Amen. Thanks so much for sharing, guys. Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute about what you're going on to do now, but I thought really quickly it'd be interesting to hear um, sort of what then led you to sort of start in Life Association. And I know you've been at PBC before, so we have heard more about sort of what that means, but sort of what led you into, into that? Yeah, well, after um, Andy left to go full-time with the message, um, we joined the message we'd had a, a guy called Paul Morley who was our street evangelist and he had a ministry in India invited me to go with him I'd always wanted to go to India and uh, we visited a, a tiny little school in Uttar Pradesh one of the more backward states in the north a real Hindu stronghold and these two Christians were um, Indian Christians were teaching these kids in a, on a dirt floor with little blackboards and um and I just thought, this is fantastic. I'd love to get involved with this. So we began to support them. And I just got hooked on the whole developing world thing and the difference you can make. And it was a purpose for me in business from 94 uh, onwards. To, to That's what I thought I was in business for. And um, when it came to the business going bust, suddenly we've got these hundreds of kids by, which, by that time, these projects around India. How on earth are we going to fund them? But the, in some ways, it was the best thing that could have happened because it opened the whole thing up. Instead of it being us, you know, writing checks from the profits of the business, we're now having to go and get fundraisers, people to sponsor kids. You know, it's not about us anymore. It's about other people getting involved, and it's the best thing that could have happened. Um, so, so that's really how I got involved with it. And, um, and then when the business went... Um, 2008, we had this um, idea through the clay cup candle um this this symbol of their oppression to to raise awareness primarily and to also to find support and that's where dalit candles come from so we've been blessed in having a a, a method of getting some income anyway from uh, uh, from from business still which also um is like the trading arm of the charity okay thanks guys so i've heard a rumor that you're going to be lord and lady of a manor <laughs> This is apparently what I can address yeah, you as yeah. now. Lord and Lady Hawthorne, what a pleasure it is. <laughs> we're, move, we're, move, um, we're moving so house. Yeah. We might even have a picture somewhere. Um, we're actually moving to Devon. Uh, we just got this little place. That Downsizing. We, uh, <laughs> uh, believe, believe it or not, 
um, we are actually moving to Devon. And it's um, definitely, definitely a calling of God. Um, what has happened is about four years ago at Greenbelt Festival, we, uh, uh, two, a couple came on, two girls came on to our stand, well, women, and uh, we got chatting and um, just real sort of kindred spirits. They had a, a foundation that they supported for displaced um, people, refugees and so on, and very much into the environmental issues. And uh, anyway, they bought some stuff and, and wanted to go on the mailing list. And um, the address was Pickwell Manor. So being those, I had a look at Pickwell Manor. And this image came up. And then this, this um, two couples had bought this place. They sold the houses in London just through price rises. Took a risk, bought this place. And over 10 years, had done it up to be a five-star holiday place. In the winter, though, from October through to March, they give it for free or subsidised prices to charities or anybody who needs it. And um, they invited us down as charity, uh, as charity workers, um, humble charity workers, for free to stay there a few years back. I had my 60th birthday there. And um, then more recently, they announced that they were going to uh, move off site. They, they'd all got other interests and got involved with the foundation. Uh, one of the guys, Steve, is the chair of trustees at Greenbelt, and he also has a, a sort of an eco business, there's um, solar panels and things. And they were looking for managers. And I felt this huge nudge in the ribs. One of the times when I would say, of the six or eight times I would say, God went, do it. And I thought, that does not make any sense whatsoever. You know, we've got the house, we've got the business, I've got a massive warehouse, I've got a narrowboat, you know, all this stuff. And I said to, well, I tell, let Julie can give her own story, but um, neither of us were convinced. Other than we were absolutely compelled to put an application in. So we shortlisted to six, we turned up, did the presentation, and were invited to take the job. Since then, the confirmations have been absolutely obvious that this is the right thing to do, that, that not just in terms of it's a great opportunity, it's by the seaside, and we love the idea, but God has just moved so many things and making so many things happen to convince us that it's the right thing to do. But you weren't quite as convinced we <laughs> at the beginning. Well, I must have gone through a lot of boxes of Kleenex, really. Every time we sat down to pray about it, which we did, I just sobbed. I could not believe that... I probably will cry now, but don't get embarrassed, because I always cry. Um, but I, I, uh, it was the last thing I wanted to do, absolutely. Why would I want to leave my grandson, leave my family, leave my friends, leave a church that we've recently joined and finally felt at home? Why would I... This is really tight, but why would I want to go and live in the middle of nowhere with just Simon? <laughs> I was terrified. Anyway, I was absolutely, I cried all the time. And I never, what, I rang, do you mind Hill? I rang Hill and I said, Hill, this is the Don't worry, Ju, you're too old, you won't get it anyway. Um, why would they want friend. you, basically? And that was what I wanted to hear. I never said to God, change my heart, God. I said to God, please don't let us get this job. Every time we prayed, when Simon wasn't listening, it'd be, please don't let us get this job, God. But at the back of my mind was, what if this is God's next good thing for you? I couldn't say no. And you were going to mention the UCB notes today, you know, about the rich young man who wouldn't, yeah, I'm not going to say your bit, but the man who wouldn't give up his stuff to go and follow Jesus and I thought how would you dare 
say no to God if he was offering you this opportunity. So I was thinking along those lines and I was driving around in the Goit Valley after work, crying, praying that I wouldn't have to go. And um, because I didn't, anyway, yeah, I don't want to go. I didn't want to go. And uh, Simon sent the email, congratulations, you've been shortlisted. And it was just like, oh, God, cheers. Right, so, you know, we had to take a step at a time, and I couldn't not do it. And so as we were shortlisted, I said to Simon, can we just talk to the boys now? We've got two sons, two daughters-in-law, and it was they plus my mum and his mum, that were the two, that there were the sort of six things, seven things, including Henry, that I did not want to leave the most. And um, I said, can we talk to the boys about it? So I was over looking after Henry, and I mentioned it to Adam, that we'd been shortlisted for this job, and he just put his hands in the air and he went, that's amazing, mum, this could be the next miracle in your lives and I just felt something change inside me Simon couldn't believe it I was not looking for this change I did not want this change but the fact that Adam was endorsing something was became very important to me that they didn't feel like we were abandoning them so I sort of thought so you think it's all right yeah mum we'd come we'd come and visit you you know don't you're not abandoning us and then we told Dan and the other and the girls and then I told my mum and my mum, I thought she'd think, you know, I've moved to Poynton, I'm nearer to Julia, and now she's going off to Devon, you know, what, what's going to happen to me? And that didn't happen at all. My mum put her hands in the air and said, praise the Lord. <laughs> and um, that was just lovely. And suddenly all these endorsements, as Simon said, all these affirmations were coming. And so that was the, oh, I think I told you, mum, after we'd got the job, didn't I? Yeah. But anyway, when the, kids, when the kids had all sort of supported us and rallied together, they were even helping us write our presentation, my mind had flipped. And Simon was like, what's happened? I said, I have no idea what's happened, but I now want to do this job, whereas I didn't want to do it before. And the only explanation I can give is that God uh, changed my heart, um, even in spite of the fact I didn't want him to. I do now, I'm really excited. <laughs> But I think as well that there's, you know, with God, there's always more. And I don't think it's about us running uh, a manor house. Um, we are going to continue to run the charity. All the profits from the uh, Pitwell Manor go into the foundation. And the foundation's heart is so close to the Work of Life Association. I think that's going to be a significant bit, but I don't want to get ahead of God on that. Um, but I think there's uh, other reasons why we're there, which he's not shown us yet. But we are going to continue to run the charity. We can do that from anywhere. Uh, the business, Dalit Candles, uh, our daughter-in-law's um, been working with us for last year, and she's going to run that bit, all the hands-on bit. I'll just continue to do the import and the finance, so nothing changes there. But there's quite a few hurdles we've got to get through, like selling an arrow boat and disposing of a lease on our house. It's got six months to go. And, but God just seems to be way, way ahead of us on, on this one. And, um, yeah, so it's exciting. Great. Well, we've not got long left with you, but I know there's something, um, I think, Sam, you want to share about how you feel this move fits with you being still connected to to this church. Yeah, I think, I mean, because one of the things I thought, well, that doesn't really make sense. We were absolutely convinced, you know, after a lot of thought and prayer that we're supposed to come to Point and Baptist. And it wasn't about us 
you know, just being prayed for, which we felt was important to be part of a bigger church. And it wasn't about, you know, being supported, the charity being supported financially. It was very much a two-way thing that I felt Life Association is such a, a, a gift to the church, you know, for people to go out there and see the uh, people living in poverty and the change it can make to you in terms of generosity and hearing from God in the midst of that place. It's affected so many people's lives, you know, and if the business hadn't gone bust, we would never, all of our trustees have come through the business. The business, the Dalit Candles business only came through the charity. Loads of people, dozens and dozens of people have been affected uh, dramatically through uh, Dalit Candles and, um, uh, and Life Association since the business went bust. So you'd never in a million years choose it, not brave enough. Uh, but, you know, it's often the makings of us. So if God called us here and definitely called us to be members very recently, what's all that about? But he hasn't called us out of Pointing Baptist. He, he's just calling us to live somewhere else. I really think that we are supposed to be here and um, in, a, in a sense of membership. And Will and Rachel um, are both coming out to India. And I think that is important. That's a, a significant time for them. And I think something's going to come from it. I, and again, I don't want to second guess what God's doing, but um, I think Life Association um, is... Personally, I think is to be a ministry of pointing. It's not my decision, but that's what I felt when I came here. I'm just being honest with you. So I think um, we, if you'll have us, want to continue to be members. We feel we will be back, of course, on a regular basis, and we'll come and perhaps even share with you. Um, uh, but I felt that was important. Neil Simon, we'll continue to have you <laughs> in church if I can come and stay in that house. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think we should shake on that, and then we'll be, yeah. uh, well, you know, you're, you're oral very, contracts with you're very welcome. and all that. <laughs> Between October and March. Because <laughs> um, I'm on a profit share. Uh, can I just say, though, in, 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 well, there's two things. One is a point of prayer. This morning, India is always a challenge, and you may have heard about the Indian government oppressing Christians. It's never been worse. It's very, very subtle in many times. Many times, sometimes it's blatant, but um, the oppression of Christians in India is is intense. Um, you probably know that Compassion were booted out of India. 150,000 children lost the sponsorship, and we have a school in Bihar uh, where 72. I say we have. It's not our school, but we support 71 children to go to this school. And there was another 50 odd that were from Compassion all overnight lost their education, lost the sponsorship, no offer of replacement for them. And this school had borrowed about £12,000 to, um, to to buy the building in the first place and they're into the bank, not been able to make the payments because the compassion support's dropped off. We've not been able to find the money. I got an email this morning. The guy, the, the bank's um, served a notice on him. That he's in court on the 23rd of this month. So please pray. That's next week. And we've got to find £5,000 back payments and the total debt is twelve and a half grand that they're coming after. I think God's going to do that. I think God, next time I see you, <clears throat> I will be saying how God did it. I'm sure of it. Uh, I don't know how he's going to do it. We haven't got the money, but I think God is going to do something. This is too important in the kingdom of God for him to let the devil take it. Um, but it's an ease. So please stand with us in prayer on that. And the other thing was, I don't think you get the UCB notes. I mean, sometimes they're blindingly good. Sometimes, yeah, a little bit soundbited, but they're free. You should get them. But the, today, it was quite a profound thing, I think, and relevant. That it was all about the rich young ruler, as Julia said. And um, 
he was making the point that the rich young ruler knew the commandments. He knew it wasn't what he did that was wrong. He knew how to do what wasn't wrong. He just didn't do what was right. And he had the opportunity, the opportunity to follow his creator and spend three years with him. He could have been one of the disciples listed for all time, all time as one of the followers of Jesus, you know, the beginning of Christianity. But he chose not to. And he's remembered as the guy who had the stuff and and preferred to hang on to it than the guy who followed Jesus. Now, I haven't got the courage. I'll tell you, in 2009, if you'd have asked, 2006, 2007, you'd ask me to, to... get rid of everything and go and work full-time in life association. I, I, I haven't got the courage. But I'm almost like the, the rich young ruler that God enforced it on because it was through that that has made my life amazing in the last 10 years. You know, it's through getting rid of all of that stuff. And the rich young ruler is a, a story for all of us and uh, perhaps relevant perhaps relevant today um, that it isn't just doing it's not that the christianity is not about the don't do this don't do that don't do that it's about what we do do you know and i thought that was quite a profound message that i'd not seen before which i think is relevant thank you guys and thank you so much for being willing to to share with us to be open to be honest and and to hear what um god has been doing in your lives um is a privilege and i i I hope you are blessed by being here we've asked um a few people just to come up and pray with you and for you as well and so i think hill and steph if you guys want to come up that would be great (laughs) oh lord thank you so much for this wonderful couple Thank you that you found them and that they love you and they've given their lives to you. And thank you for answering prayers for them and giving them a way forward and blessing them with everything that they need and a lot of the things that they want as well. Thanks for Simon's Lexus, Lord. Um, But um, (laughs) just... Lord, really bless them in this new venture. They don't know entirely what it's going to be, but really bless them, Lord. And as they work for you, as they try to move the charity forward and, Lord, help the the particularly Dalit children who have absolutely zero nothing, Lord, that you will help them to bless those children whether they're here in Poynton or whether they're in Devon. We're going to miss them. Uh, but I, I, I just thank you so much for them, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord, we just uh, we thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for who each of them are as individuals. And we thank you for the vibrancy and the life that we see in them and for your spirit. And, Father, we pray that you would continue to, work cl- to walk closely with them, in the highs and lows of life. Lord, we, um, we don't let go of them, but we send them uh, to Devon to do more of your work. And we pray that you would just guide them each step of the way, just as you've done from the moment that they were born. Lord, we pray as a church that we would continue to cover them with our prayers. And Lord, that they would know that in Poynton, that they are loved They are remembered. They are supported. Father, we wrap our arms around them as a church. We pray that you would use their gifts and their talents and their skills all for the good. And Lord, 
that you would fill their words, that you would season them with salt, make them full of grace, and Lord, that they would share your love with every person who walks through that manner, and Lord, that they would be a blessing to others as they've been to us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. You know, we've, we've heard a challenge, um, 12,500 pounds that is needed. And uh, I just really feel we can be part of that answer. We can do that today. And so most of us, we haven't come here prepared to give. We don't have any money. Perhaps I don't have any money in my purse right now. But uh, I just think if you want to give and you want to write an IOU or you just want to throw something into the offering, then why don't we do that uh, this morning? And so um, after we take up the offering, if the ushers don't mind just standing at the back with the bags, and um, like I said, if you just want to write a note that says, you know what, I'm going to pledge this, or if you just want to put something in the bag, um, we'd, that'd be great. Great. Thanks, Steph. Fabulous. Um, Simon just mentioned as well there that at the back of church there are some books around um, Life Association and telling a bit more about um, Simon Julian's story. So I would encourage you to take a look at them at them, sorry, as well if you want. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel incredibly moved and incredibly challenged this morning. So I'm very grateful for you both to to share um, your story and share about um, what God's been doing. And I think it just reminds us all, doesn't it, that we have a God who is active today. We have a God who provides. And I know we've been, um, just before this series, we were looking at stewardship. You know, what we have is not our own. It is, our, it is God's. And what, how can we live um, to give back to God, to, to be obedient to his calling, which is obviously what you guys are doing. And um, I think um, as well, a few people have felt this morning that it's really important to, to say that if you, if you don't know this God that Simon and Julie are talking about, if you don't yet know um, this God, then there's an opportunity always, there's an opportunity for you here this morning to, to get to know that God, that God who loves you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, that God who provides for you. You know, there's always an opportunity for you to meet that God. He is running always towards you. He is that prodigal father in the story, the prodigal son that is running to meet with you if you take that step towards him. So I'm going to get the band to come up and we're going to sing our our final set of worship. But if that is you, if that, if that is something that you needed to hear this morning that you don't yet know God and you want to know him, then I just encourage you to, to come down the front. We've not got anything set up. This isn't planned or anything like that, but grab me and I would love to pray with you or get someone within the leadership team to pray with you. I think that was something that was just felt this morning that we wanted to say. But I'm going to hand over to Andy and the band and I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing to this loving and providing God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.